Pastor Xavier Reese explains the simple, true, and free gift of salvation. Paul declared that God is faithful regarding salvation. God is reliable. He will do all that is necessary for man to be saved, but he will not force man by not violating the person's free will. They must choose to believe and choose to repent. God has to honor and respect your choice. If he forced you, he would not be reliable. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. If you want to succeed in corporate America, you have to be ruthless, looking out for number one. But if you want to succeed as a minister of the gospel, well, you have to put others first. Today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier takes us to 1 Corinthians as he brings us the resume of the Apostle Paul and his love for the flock. Let's listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 in the message of Paul, the loving shepherd. Paul's loving concern for the Corinthians is evident by three things in his opening introduction. First, you have the salutation to the Corinthians, verse 1 through 3. Secondly, you have the appreciation of the Corinthians, 4 through 6. And thirdly, the affirmation of the Corinthians, 7 through 9. The salutation of the Corinthians begins here, verse 1 through 3. Notice in verse 1, the Apostle Paul identified himself as the writer. Paul. Paul was called an apostle of Jesus Christ in verse 1. It means one sent out, a messenger representative. You might equivalent it to a missionary. They're sent out. Now, notice in verse 2, Paul addressed those who were sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified, as you know, means to be set apart. Not simply to be used, though this is certainly true. I am God's instrument. But it's that he is my owner. I'm owned by him. I'm set apart for him. He's identifying the Corinthians, even though they're carnal right now, okay? He has encouraged them to come back to what God had done. Paul is bringing them back to Christ being Christ-centered, not self-centered. Spiritual, not carnal. Look at verse 3. The Apostle Paul indicated their regards. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul proclaimed on them the grace of God. Grace is unmerited, favor undeserved, as you know, a gift uh, that God has empowered, and it's the normal Greek greeting. This is grace for their ongoing lives in Christ, not salvation. They're saved. The grace is all sufficient for all things in life, as we said in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Paul proclaimed on them the peace of God. Learn the order. Grace always comes first. The result of grace is peace. All right? It's real simple. And peace here is irene, and it means to join together corresponding to the Hebrew shalom. You have the usual Greek and Hebrew greeting joined together. But peace is the result of grace. The word has the idea of putting back something that has previously broken or separated. You get the name Irene from it. This peace is the peace of God for the difficult times in life. Not the peace with God when we're justified in Romans 5.1. They're already saved. 
this peace surpasses all understanding when we're going through trials, tribulations, we're asking God to direct and guide us. Paul's loving concern was evident in the salutation to the Corinthians. He loved them. Notice, secondly, comes the appreciation of the Corinthians, 4 through 6. In verse 4, the apostle Paul communicated that he thanked God for them on an ongoing basis. I thank my God always concerning you. He did so realizing the miracle of their salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You have to be thankful when you look to the life of people. First of all, yourself. That God would save you. (laughs) Then others. Paul thanked God for the Corinthians by a personal relationship and experience. Notice that. Don't miss that. He says, my God. He had a personal relationship with the living God. There's the key. He had a personal relationship with the Corinthians. We'll see it throughout chapter 4, 7, all of them. He says, am I not your father? Am I not, you know, did I not preach Christ? He's the one that started the church. He calls the Corinthians brethren 27 times in the letter. The epistles of Paul reveal that he was a man of prayer, if you read them, for God's guidance and direction always. For others, for all the churches that he planted, all the cares that came upon him, he said, daily, Notice verse 4, the Apostle Paul thanked God for the grace he bestowed on them, for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Grace is synonymous with the gospel, the unmerited favor for salvation. Grace that had made them spiritually alive rather than leaving them spiritually dead. Grace that had forgiven their sins rather than being judged for their sins. Grace that enabled them to see themselves as lost and respond to salvation. Grace had accepted them in the beloved Son. Look at 5. The Apostle Paul thanked God for their wealth through grace, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. So Paul stated they were made instantly rich in everything. Everything encompasses all in the sphere of the spiritual realm. The word enriched means to make wealthy in a spiritual realm. Now, there's a whole section of the church that teaches that you are God's child, so it's your divine right to be wealthy as well as healthy, and it's you nab it and grab it, name it and claim it. What a corruption of the scriptures. Poor Jesus. He didn't know he was rich. He had to borrow a tomb as well as a coin to give a teaching on taxes. What an insult to the gospel. Notice then Paul stated they were enriched in two things. First, all utterance, which encompasses thought, words, and discourse regarding the things of God. This is the first of 15 times it appears in the letter. Paul will deal with wisdom later on. Wisdom is distinct, the proper application of knowledge, which... The Corinthians were puffed up about, and Paul will contrast human wisdom with God's wisdom in the second chapter, and he'll deal with that. Notice in 6, the apostle Paul thanked God for his personal witness of their saved lives, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Paul declared they had given a testimony of Christ, the gospel. Paul saw the miracle and transformation from a debauched life 
to a life of devotion to Jesus Christ in each of those Corinthians. He reminds them of who they are. First Thessalonians 3.9 says, For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Paul's loving concern was evident in the appreciation of the Corinthians. Notice thirdly, verse 7 through 9, the affirmation of the Corinthians. In verse 7, the first part, Paul affirmed them in view of their spiritual gifts, so that you come short in no gift. The phrase come short means to be in want or to lack, and he says it in the negative. They were blessed in all spiritual gifts. We're going to see this, chapter 12, 13, and 14. They were misusing them and abusing them through pride and carnality. And by the way, a side note, spiritual gifts are no credentials for spirituality. They had all the gifts and they were 100% beef. Let me say that those who are trying to exercise their gift, flashiness and impress people, they're probably carnal. Their gifts of the spiritual work very naturally. They go on in the, in the church here very naturally, in the children's ministry, over the pulpit as you're ministering to one another. Paul is not saying that each individual has all the gifts. For Paul will tell them later that not all have every gift. In 1 Corinthians 12, he'll deal with that. God is sovereign. He gives to each as he sees fit. Paul is speaking of the corporate body of the church here. Paul didn't want them to be ignorant about spiritual gifts that God, through his grace, had bestowed on them by the Holy Spirit. Again, he'll deal with it in chapter 12. Paul would also correct their wrong exercise, especially the gift of tongues, interpretation, and prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. They were abusing them. They let the world come into the church and they were using it as something to be proud and to be flashy and to, you know, for people to look at them and it was weird. Paul would reveal to them that if the gifts are not exercised by love, they do not profit the individual at all, 1 Corinthians 13. Notice the second part of 7, Paul affirmed them in view of their belief in the return of Christ. And they're tied together, by the way. Eager waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul declared that they were eagerly waiting for the revelation of their Lord. Jesus Christ here. The phrase eagerly waiting has the idea of a strong and earnest expectation with one's neck and head stretched out. Romans 8.23 for the creation groans. Same word, eagerly waiting. The implication is very obvious regarding the gifts and the coming of Jesus. They're tied together. The gifts were expected by Paul to be in operation when the Lord returned. Then how is it that can people say that the gifts are not for today? You have to really twist the scriptures. This is just one. We'll get to it more when we get to chapter 12, 13, and 14. The revelation is in reference to the Lord's coming for his church at the rapture. Now, many commentators say this is the second coming. I'm open for it, but we're removed at the rapture. That's what we're looking forward to. You understand? The word for revelation, apocalypsis, means unveiling or uncovering in order to see with one's own eyes. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, said, will be hard possible 
to the air and see the Lord and be with our loved ones. There are two other words that appear in the New Testament for the Lord's appearing. All three are used interchangeably. One is epiphania, the manifestation, and the other is parousia, presence. Epiphania was used of a deity or an emperor, which was deified. And Paul closes the letter with the word Aramaic, Maranatha, O Lord, come, in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. That's in the old King James. The new King James puts it, O Lord, come, but it's Maranatha. <laughs> the coming of Christ to the earth to set up the kingdom must be distinguished from his coming for his church. Jesus said in John 14, 1 through 3, I will come back to receive you to myself. Jesus mentions the rapture. John 14, 1 through 3. You must distinguish it. The Lord declared that he would return to set up the kingdom, Matthew 25. That's at the end of the seven-year tribulation. The difference between the two is seven years. The three and a half years of tribulation where there will be false peace and the Antichrist will deceive the world, the first three and a half years. And then there will be the last three and a half years of great tribulation when the Antichrist will rule the world with an iron hand and destroy all who oppose him. We're at the brink. We see the world being set up right now. Iran is saying they're going to destroy the Jews. They keep saying it. Russia, China, keep supplying Iran and instigating Syria. Russia will attack Israel. No one's even looking at that right now. <laughs> Don't worry about Israel. The Bible says she'll be here. When Jesus comes back. Look at eight. Paul affirmed them in view of God's forgiveness. Who will also confirm you to the end. God would continue the work of salvation to the end. The one confirming is, the, is in reference to the Father. Follow the train of thought. Not Jesus. The one confirming is the Father. The section begins with God in verse 4. And ends with God in verse 9. In verse 5 and 6, God has enriched in everything and the gospel. In verse 9, God is the Father distinct from the Son, who will also confirm is the Father, parallel to God in verse 9. So you follow the thought, it refers to the Father. Remember, they're one. Don't get freaked out. Paul just switches gears every once in a while. The Father is part of the work of salvation. Look at the word confirm. It means to establish or make sure. The tense is the indicative future active. It's a sure thing. The word in means the uttermost till the termination. Being confident of the very thing that he was got a good work in you will perform that day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. I'm not looking to me. I'm looking to him as I abide in him, growing, developing, Maturing. Notice God would present them blameless in the day of their Lord Jesus Christ. That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blameless means irreproachable and unimpeachable. The quality of forgiveness that is offered in the atoning work of Jesus is complete and absolute. He makes you whiter than snow as you repent. Casting our sins as far as east as the west, bearing in the deepest ocean, Psalm 103, 12, and Micah 7, 19. Look at 9. 
Paul affirmed them in view of God's faithfulness. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul declared that God is faithful regarding salvation. He reminds them. His faithfulness is guaranteed by his nature of perfection. The word faithful simply means one who can be trusted or relied upon. In fact, the good word would be reliable. God is reliable. And the word is emphatic, being at the beginning of the Greek sentence, literally, faithful is God. That's what it says. God cannot lie, Numbers 23, 19, and other portions. He will do all that is necessary for man to be saved, but he will not force man to be saved. Beginning by providing the means of salvation, the cross and the resurrection. Second, by having the gospel proclaimed by an individual. God makes himself responsible for that. Third, by not violating the person's free will. They must choose to believe and choose to repent. And fourthly, by honoring the choice that is made, being faithful. If a person rejects God, then God has no choice but to consign them to hell and the lake of fire by their own choice. God has to honor and respect your choice. If he forced you, he would not be reliable. He would not be honorable. He could not be holy. Notice Paul declared the enabling and the completion comes with the call to be saved. God is the initiator in salvation. Man is the responder in salvation. And the call is into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The called means to invite. Indicative error is passive. He invites us. You think we would be privileged. We are. The word fellowship is a very rich word. We've gone through it many times, koinonia. It's a word for participation, oneness, partnership, becoming one. Paul will use it for the offering the koinonia, the participation. The fellowship with God's Son is made possible by the dying of Him in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in Him. He's the propitiation for our sins, not ours alone, but the whole world, 1 John 2.2. What an incredible gift He's given us. One person who made a difference in my life was a gymnastic coach named John Draghi at Ballin Park High School. He had this way of coaching. He had seven years straight championships with CIF. I wanted to be part of that. And he had a way to motivate me, and he was concerned about kids. And he did it for many, not just I. And I wanted to be a champion. And then he went to Long Beach City College, and I followed him out there, and I was able to get a ride out, and that's how I got through school, competing in gymnastics. And I so appreciated, and I went back and I ministered the gospel to him. He knew me. He knew who I was. But if a non-believer can be so concerned and so interested in the shape and more lives, how much we, as believers, do you recognize the importance of gifts in your life as an information of God's work through you? We're to seek the best of the gifts. 
those that edify the body. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. We're to exercise them in a loving way, not in a pompous display, as if I'm displaying some spiritual credential while in reality I'm 100% beef. They've got to be through agape love, 1 Corinthians 13. Are you waiting eagerly for the revelation of Jesus Christ? Or are you being sidetracked? The life evidence is purity of life, 1 John 3, 1 through 4. And everyone who has this hope purifies as he is pure, he says. The life that is waiting for Jesus' return is marked by stewardship, Luke 12, 35 through 48. To those that much is given, much is required. President Obama just quoted that at the prayer breakfast, out of context, to launch his ripoff program. If he knew, he just declared judgment on himself, for much has been given to him, an entire nation, and much will be required. Wow. The discipline is praying and watching to be worthy to escape all these things, Luke 21, 36. The believer is waiting for the blessed hope, Titus 2.13. Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful, reliable, Hebrews 10.23. Are you looking for Jesus Christ? Man, I tell you, it'd be great if he just came right now. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Maybe you're not saved. It's the most important thing you will do in your life. It will affect your eternity. And he'll bring you right into the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The scriptures declare that whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich in all who call upon him. For whoever calls on him, Lord, shall be saved, Romans 10, 10 through 13. What an invitation. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. Amazing. I alone know how amazing grace is that saved the wretch like me, that forgave me all. I know me second best. God knows me the best. The work of salvation is all of God. Man can only reject it or receive it. Don't let the mystery of predestination and free will keep you from making a decision. Come. Today is the day of salvation. You say, well, maybe I'm not predestined. How do you know you're not? Well, I haven't come. Why haven't you come? I don't want to come. Okay, we can go to hell. Well, I don't want it. Well, then come. (laughs) But you won't be able to blame God if you end up in hell. Don't let your own weakness or sin keep you from salvation. He is more than able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of God with exceeding joy. Jude verse 24. When I go before God and the Father says, why should I accept you? The Son will step in and say, because he's mine. Paul's loving concern was evident by the affirmation of the Corinthians. What an incredible opening to this carnal church. Paul's loving concern for the Corinthians was evident here in his introduction by the salutation to the Corinthians, the appreciation of the Corinthians, and the affirmation of the Corinthians. 
all of those is applicable to us. So needful. Pastor Xavier Reese, with a gentle reminder for us to reflect the attitude of the Apostle Paul as we relate to one another. And you can request a copy of today's lesson from 1 Corinthians called Paul the Loving Shepherd. It's available on CD for just $4. And this message will contain everything Pastor Xavier shared with us last time we were together as well. So the title to ask for once again is Paul the Loving Shepherd. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. The scriptures exhort us to battle sin, not each other. Learn more about destructive divisions when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com